Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and we are working chapter by chapter through the book of Deuteronomy. We are on chapter 22 of the book of Deuteronomy today, and we are talking about more concession laws in the section in which we're working through laws pertaining to how to treat your neighbor and how to treat situations that arise out of living in the land of Canaan once the Israelites are firmly established. Um, This is a part two to chapter 21 in which we already talked about several laws in that section um, that focus specifically on um, if statements, if this happens, then you should do this, and we are going to continue that today, so come along for the ride. So we're diving into chapter 22 of the book of Deuteronomy today, and uh, this is going to be an interesting chapter because there's a lot of what I'll call just like miscellaneous laws, um, but they all have some interesting relationships to one another. And so I do think it's very important to talk about each one. Um, We will probably breeze through this episode, I'd say, a little quickly. We may talk a little bit about some of the longer ones. You'll notice that the ending section of this chapter focuses specifically on a lot of marriage laws. Um, And so that will be fun to talk about already. There have been some interesting um, conversations that uh, I think are generated through the last episode. So um, we'll definitely get to continue these again. Um, A lot of what I laid out in the episode before that is uh, definitely applicable to this chapter as well, so I highly suggest you go back and listen to the episode right before this. But just a short recap here, we talked a lot about how in a lot of these laws in this section here, these are concession laws, meaning that this is not the ideal that God wants for humanity, but if a sin is already um, enacted in the situation, then um, here's what you are to do. Um, And here's the process of figuring out who's in the right and who is in the wrong. We also talked about how God is not interested in at least this law here um, in the Old Testament with uh, preventing sins from occurring, but instead he's interested in retribution for those sins. And so um, there's a lot of cases in which um, things that are very uncomfortable to us, um, he's not actually preventing those actions from occurring, but instead giving retribution for those actions. Um, And in many cases, the the retribution does appear to be Uh, in some sense, still patriarchal. Um, That is definitely par for the course of this time period. Um, That's something that we talked about a little bit, is that's just part of how they lived in their society. And again, it does seem as if, um, again, like what we talked about with slavery a few weeks ago, sometimes um, the laws are not meant to push or progress morality in the way that we may want it to be progressed today, but are instead meant to... um, sit with the people of their culture and their time period and how things are done and to uh, really uh, give, uh, I would say, 
boundaries for particular um, graphic kind of sins um, and really focusing in on the kind of extremities of the culture as more focus than just completely um, reworking the entire patriarchal system, which, again, I do think that you will find in the New Testament examples of that being done. Um, I don't think that this is something that um, uh, continues into the New Testament. I do think in many cases we'll see um, that progression increase, and Paul um, often will talk about that even um, in Galatians and in Philemon. Um, Those are two good examples of that. But um, yeah, for at least um, as we're working through Deuteronomy, um, these sections can always be uncomfortable by us recognizing that culture of this time period and in this society is very different than ours. Um, And that can become something that um, uh, we can rub up against in quite a huge way. Um, So I do want to just give a kind of a shallow warning from the beginning that you will probably find laws in this section that you probably will disagree with even. um, And that is totally okay. Like part of um, part of what I think the new Testament is saying is that these laws are not, um, and what Jesus was saying, we talked about that last week, um, how Jesus actually looked at one of the laws in this section and said that it was not given, um, as the ideal for all human life. Um, but it was given as a concession because of human wickedness. And we'll see Paul pick that up, uh, that up again in Romans actually. And, uh, you can listen to our episodes in Romans to really see how Paul sees the law now, um, as not just something that, um, uh, was good and created a good order for the universe and for humanity, but was actually something that increased sin um, and showed um, that there was a need for grace in the universe. Um, so yeah, like there's a huge um, uh, caveat to all of these laws because of that. And uh, it's very important to keep that in the forefront. But again, we talked all about that in the last episode. So go back and listen to that and uh, we'll go ahead and dive into the chapter. If you see your fellow Israelites, ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you, or if you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. If you see your fellow Israelite's donkey or ox fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help the owner get it to its feet. A woman must not wear a man's clothing, nor a man wear a woman's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. If you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go, so that it may go well with you, and you may have a long life. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof, so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the young woman's father and mother 
shall bring to the town elders at the gate proof that she was a virgin. Her father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is the proof of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, shall take the man and punish him. They shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the young woman's father, because this man has given an Israelite virgin a bad name. She shall continue to be his wife. He must not divorce her as long as he lives. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be merry, and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife, you must purge the evil from among you. But if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. Do nothing to the woman. She has committed no sin deserving death. This case is like that of someone who attacks and murders a neighbor. For the man found the young woman out in the country, and though the betrothed woman screamed, there was no one to rescue her. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay her father fifty shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman, for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as he lives. A man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. All right, as you can see, there's a lot of laws in this chapter and all of varying degrees of severity. Um, starting at the top, we have um, a, a few laws that uh, really, I would say in modern times, kind of uh, could be summed up with, what do you do if you find someone's wallet? <laughs> um, and uh, they're essentially laws about um, finding like a stray ox or a sheep that someone else is um, uh, lost, and in those cases, you are to um, a first attempt to find the person that is um, uh, missing this ox or donkey, and uh, bring it back to them. That's the kind thing to do. Do not ignore it. Is the main um, uh, strict. Uh, law here. Um, if they ignore it and just kind of go on their way and let someone else try and take care of it, they're not being kind to their neighbor. Um, and yeah, it's a, this is a rule that makes a lot of sense in their culture, right? Like um, uh, I talk a lot about how animals were way more valuable in their time period than um, they are for us today. And so you can't just like ignore someone's lost ox or sheep or donkey. Um, you need to actually like uh, figure out whose owner it is, and um, if you can't figure that out, take it back home until someone um, uh, gets to tell the owner that it's at this person's house. Um, there's a lot of examples of this actually being done in the um, uh, Old Testament. A good example of this is actually King Saul. Before he's made king, he actually loses two donkeys, and uh, he takes a friend of his, and they go looking for it. And he's hoping that someone will be kind enough to find the donkeys and uh uh, keep them at their place um, so that he can 
ask around and figure out where they are. And I have a feeling that this law was very much what made that kind of society, um, the type of society that um, would allow someone to find their donkey if it went missing. So, yeah, um, all of that kind of is couched in this law. Um, The next law here is um, after just locating an animal and bringing it back. Um, Verse four talks about a law in which um, if it's fallen on the road, like in a hole or something like this, um, you're to help it get to its feet. Um, Jesus will actually use this law um, in a really clever way when he talks about how um, uh, if it's on the Sabbath day, would they still follow this law or not? And he says, you should, um, that it's more ideal to follow this law than to keep the Sabbath and make it holy. Um, for him, um, this law trumps the concept of Sabbath keeping, um, at least according to how, um, the uh, people of the first century were living according to the Sabbath. Um, He sees that their way of doing that is uh, in many ways hypocritical because they're breaking this law in favor of the Sabbath. And he says, no, you should do the opposite. You should, um, if someone finds a sheep that's fallen into a pit, you should help that man get that pit, uh, that sheep out of the pit. So um, this is a, this is a really interesting law just for how Jesus is interpreting laws. And we find that it's not just a straight one for one. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus values more laws in the Old Testament over other laws. And this is a good example of this. Um, in verse five, um, this is one that might cause a lot of consternation for today. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear woman's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. And this is the first law that will, I think, take some explanation, but there's several laws that um, can all be wrapped up in this. You will notice that there's laws like do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. Um, you'll notice that there's laws of um, uh, not, uh, in essence, like planting two kinds of seed in your vineyard, right? Um, there is a, there is a theme in a lot of these laws, um, that, uh, I call them sort of the ordered laws in which, um, a lot of the old Testament, uh, law code is really deriving from this concept of no, um, two things should be, um, I guess I would say misunderstood for the other thing. You should make it so that, um, that if you have, um, a vineyard, it's a vineyard, right? If you have a, uh, farm filled with, um, crops, it's a farm filled with crops. Um, but it's not a vineyard. And, um, it kind of goes back to this Genesis idea in Genesis chapter one, where God creates things each according to their own kind. And that phrase appears time and time again in Genesis chapter one. The idea there is that there is a sense in which in the Bible, um, when things become mixed, um, they in some essence are not purely what God designed, right? Um, that, uh, God ordered the universe and created the universe in a very particular way, um, each to its own kind. And so he has several laws in here um, that are meant to protect against um, that kind of thing. So you'll notice that like um, wool and linen um, are completely two totally different, um, uh, I would say, articles of how to make a a shirt. And so you're not supposed to use two totally different methods for making a shirt. You're either to pick one or the other because they come each according to their own kind. Um, actually there's been a huge argument, um, that's been given for even like the animal laws in this, uh, 
passage, and I can't remember if I talked about this or not, but like um, you'll notice um, in a few episodes back, we talked about how animals um, that uh, part of the hoof and uh, chewed the cud um, were uh, allowed um but if it parted, it did not part the hoof, but still chewed the cud, it was not allowed to be eaten. And if it didn't chew the cove, uh, cud, but also parted the hoof, it also couldn't be um, eaten. And that also kind of goes back to this idea that, like, um, in some sense, shape, or form, um, he is organizing animals based off of um, the... Uh, I guess I would say the type of animal it is and what it is doing. And if it's half in, half out, if it's half, half right, half not right, then, um, uh, it's forbidden to eat. And so there is in the whole old Testament, I guess what I'm saying is that there's this overarching, um, adherence to, um, things being in their right and proper place essentially. And, um, you'll notice that there's no like, punishments for these laws in particular. Um, we have a lot of if um, laws, and then that law kind of comes in as the first law that is just a straight um, do not do this kind of law. Um, and then we kind of pick back up again with an if law right after it, and then we'll go to a when law after that, and then we'll go back to do not laws. Um, and so the, the, like I said, this is kind of a miscellaneous section. Um, there's some con, uh, concession laws in here, um, and then there's some um, just straight do not do these laws. But there is no, um, uh, I guess I would say, um, graphic kind of punishment. Um, like it's not tagging on to the end if you find someone that does this you're to stone them or something like that um, but it is a breaking of the law um, and it is something to consider these I would see are in kind of a subcategory of the law still important um, for their time period um, and I do think pulled from Genesis in a lot of ways um, but they are of a less lesser severity I guess I would say than some of the other laws you'll find in this section um, so yeah he says um, don't mix clothing um, and that'll come up kind of again in the later, uh, later um, verses. He then says in verse six, if you come across a bird's nest beside the road, either in a tree or on the ground, and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with its young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. This is a really endearing one I find. Like, um, don't like just remove the mother because you're going to kill all of the young um, if you remove the mother. Whereas if you remove some of the young and do with them what you will, um, make eggs with them, however, um, the mother will still be producing more young and the young that are left that you don't take will still be taken care of. That's just like common sense. Don't don't just like rob um, the children of their mother so that they all die. Um, this is a, just kind of a quality of life for animal life, even in the Old Testament, which is very um, important um, to God. Um, when you uh, build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. I love this one because it's really uh, a law that's um, uh, meant to prevent someone from being clumsy. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because like, yeah, like the idea is if you like don't have some kind of like preventative measure to keep people from being safe, that's actually on you. Um, and this is something businesses even today kind of keep as a rule. We have like um, very bright yellow signs that say like, um, 
uh, wet floor and, you know, it's on the business if they don't put that there. Um, and there, there are a lot of like, you know, rules that we have kind of put in, in place, like caution hot on like a hot drink or something like that, that I do think kind of embody the spirit of this law in which there is a kind of responsibility component to, um, uh, anybody that owns a particular building and um, has unsafe parts of that building, they are uh, duty bound to inform a visitor that there is something dangerous that could happen here. Um, and you might uh, want to keep yourself away from that. Or in this case, build some preventative measure to keep that from happening. Um, verse nine then talks about what we've already talked about. Um, don't plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Idea again, being that you shouldn't have, um, uh, you shouldn't try and like get, um, double your money's worth in one plot of land. Um, either devote it to be a vineyard or devote it to be a farm. Don't make it both. Um, which is a really interesting kind of concept. Um, uh, it, it, you have to rely more on the trust of God for that. And on top of that, you also um, are going back to our original point of uh, each according to its own kind and everything being rightly ordered um, and uh, uh, ordered from the mindset of God. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. That's another example of that. You you want to have two oxen or two donkey. Uh, don't do an ox and a donkey. Don't mix again. Uh, do not wear clothes of wool and linen, linen woven together. Again, don't mix. Um, and then make tassels on the four corners of the cloak you wear. This is an interesting one because um, this one in many ways is uh, representative of also the high priests where they would um, uh, have tassels on the uh, outer form of their garment. And the symbolism that they would uh, later ascribe to this is that the every Israelite must in some way kind of be a smaller version of the high priest and that there to be a kingdom of priests to the rest of the world. And so um, that by their very nature, um, they are in some ways um, kind of repeating that um, symbolism in a smaller way with tassels instead of little baubles is which um, the priest would have on their garment. Um, also of interest is that there's four on the four corners. Four corners is actually a theme that runs through the entire Old Testament and even kind of into the New, um, kind of symbolizing north, east, south, and west. Um, so that's kind of the idea of having a um, priestly... Um, perspective for all four corners of um, the world, um, which is a really cool, cool theme as well. And it's part of um, their instructions is to always have those tassels. That section is, like I said, more of a miscellaneous section. This next section focuses specifically on more marriage violations. And this first one um, is very interesting because it focuses on a man that has become displeased with his wife. And um, from the very beginning, all the Hebrew words here all kind of imply that he's just kind of a scumbag and, and that like he's trying to slander her and give her a bad name. And it may appear as if this is a law that is very negative towards women, but in many ways, this is actually very protective of her. Um, it actually puts um, her uh, father and mother as the responsible party here instead of her, so she doesn't even have to fight with him, which is actually a very good thing. Um, he uh, 
is to essentially bring it before the entire town. And so the, the entire town is now aware of his own um, slander of her. And like, even if this thing is resolved, everybody in the town is going to know that he is a person that uh, uh, did this to his own wife. And uh, so he will probably receive a public shaming after this event, even if he must keep her. Um, and then on top of that, um, the whole concept of like proof that she was a virgin and stuff like that is really just to give him some kind of proof so that he is now totally in shame. Um, and from that point forward, it's not even really um, about that is the whole concept of her having to give proof is really just a concession to his wickedness. Um, and once that proof is established, um, you find that everything is on him. Um, he shall be even fined for doing that. Um, he has to give up a huge sum of money. Um, and uh, he must give it actually to her parents. And like I said, um, we may find it very effrontery that she can't just leave him. That's our con context in which it's better for a woman to leave a man um, than for her to stay with a man. In this culture and in this context, um, it was way better for her to stay with a man, no matter how horrible he was. Um, because in many ways, one, um, this is not a culture in which um, you just have a man and a woman living together and no one else around. Um, they're in this culture at least, is always like aunts and uncles, like the two families in many senses would definitely like join. And so you wouldn't just have a situation in which a man and a woman lived alone. Um, there was always servants and slaves and like pretty much like it was very hard to even get privacy in the family alone. And so as a result of that, it's not as much of a negative as far as like what we might imagine today with that kind of situation. Um, and at, on top of that, um, he is now kind of the shaming of the entire town um, because he has to bring it to the town elders at the gate. And we talked about the gate being something that um, is uh, uh, in many ways the most public space in the town. And uh, as a result, people are going to have their eye on him from this point forward. Um, and that's also going to be part of the communal kind of keeping with his um, hopefully better activities after this event transpires. So a lot of those reasons, I actually think that this law in particular is one that's pretty kind to a woman. You know, for us, it's very uh, affrontery that it, she even has to go through this. But again, the text itself came, seems to indicate um, that, yes, uh, it's fully aware that this is a very bad thing that he's doing. And uh, here are the list of things that's to prevent this from uh, being very bad for her. In uh, uh, verse 20, it does give a little caveat that if it is found to be true that she was um, not a virgin, um, then yes, she can be stoned because she's guilty of adultery. Um, and that is something that you'll find pretty much throughout um, the entire book of Deuteronomy as adultery is a, an offense worthy of stoning. And so um, this has nothing to do with just women. It's just part par and for the course. And you'll notice in a law later on, um, if you find a man and a woman guilty, both of adultery, both are to be stoned, not just the woman, but also the man. This is something that's very interesting because um, with Jesus in John chapter eight, there's a woman found to be caught in adultery. There's no mention of a man. And by this law, that man should also be there um, and also be worthy of stoning just as much as the woman. And so either he ran away or was able to escape or the um, Pharisees of the time were not following the laws the way that they should have been and let the man go, but decided to get 
keep the woman for stoning. Um, either way, you will also find that Jesus is merciful even in the context of these kinds of laws. So that's something also to keep in mind. Um, after after we talk about whether or not it's true or not true that she was a virgin um, and uh they purged the evil from among them. That's a line that comes up repeatedly in Deuteronomy. Um, we talk about another completely different situation, which is if a man is found sleeping with another's wife, like I said, both man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. And I find this law is probably indicated here at the end kind of to give that kind of like make sure you're aware that like it's not just about women that this is a thing. It's also about men that do this. If a man happen, uh, happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, um, that word actually should be rape, <laughs> um, you shall take both of them to the uh, gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman, because she was in a town and did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil from among you. So... This is might be something that um, is pretty hard to hear in some cases because in our culture, day and age, um, rape is such a horrible thing, and um, and in this context too, it is a very horrible thing. Um, but uh, for us, we are always going to be more willing um, to um, whoever has been the one that was raped is the um, one that we see as a victim. And these, these laws here um, do not seem to have that same perspective. Uh, they definitely have a sense in which the woman is a victim, but um, uh, it does carry with it um, a sense of her own responsibility that if she does not scream for help, um, then they are both to be um, stoned. Um, and it, that is something that, uh, you know, as far as this culture and in this time period, uh, again, kind of going back to the communal nature of this is that it is actually very hard for a man and a woman to be alone. Um, and so I think that um, in some ways this is kind of like a suspicion of a kind, not because we're suspecting rape victims, but because this kind of situation is just so rare um, in a community culture where there's so many different people in and out of a, a city and especially in a town um, out in the open. And so there is kind of this underlying suspicion of the, the whole circumstance. And remember, these laws weren't supposed to be given originally. These are laws because probably somebody had this situation happen and there was a lot of doubt about what was actually going on. And so this law got in here because of that situation. And so it's helpful to think of these laws not as like the ideals for human society. Like I said, that's the big point about concession laws is that they're not the ideals. They were probably put in place because somebody had this episode transpire. And so they needed to add a law in here to account for that episode occurring, right? So again, uh, I think it's totally valid to have kind of an uncomfortableness with that. Um, but again, I do think the culture and the time period does help make that a little less offensive um, in many ways. Um, but if out in the country a man happens to meet a young woman um, pledged to be married and rapes her, only the man who has done this shall die. So it does even here establish just from the get-go that um, in the country, if she has no ability to scream or cry out, um, then yeah, she's guilt. She's not guilty of anything. Um, and again, we may find it horrific that she is to marry this person um, that raped her. Um, that is way better in their culture and in their society than her being single. Um, that's just how they lived. Um, a woman that did not 
um, that was violated like that would never be able to get married by another man, unfortunately, in this culture. And so either she would become a spinster with in her own father's house and she would basically be poor all her life, living off of her family until they died. And then once they died, she wouldn't have any way to take care of herself and she'd be alone, which was just not something you would do in this culture. Um, or she would have to marry that person and at least that person would uh, be responsible for her and have to take care of her um, and that is the way that they chose to resolve these kinds of things again we may find that very effrontery and I think we have every right to in some senses because our culture is so different and again like I said these laws are given not to say this is the ideal, this is the ideal for their time and place and in their time and culture, and then now we have a very different way of handling these kinds of situations. And remember, it's never about the law itself, it's always about the wisdom underneath that. And I do think the wisdom underneath that is to find some way to protect the woman in this situation. It's not just trying to be patriarchal for the sake of patriarchalness. It's finding the best situation in their time period for this circumstance. Finally, in verse 30, it says, uh, a man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. This is for sure a callback to Reuben, who does this. Um, he uh, sleeps with his father's uh, concubine and dishonors his father's bed. Um, this is something that... Um, the Bible project actually brings up is probably he was trying to do this to get some kind of superiority as the firstborn and um, to earn kind of his own family line through his father's wife and thus um, get more prestige in the family household. And so as a result, um, this is in many ways dishonoring the father um, and attempting to supplant him in many ways. So yeah, there's a huge amount of interesting things that even relating to the sin of Ham with Noah um, back in Genesis may have been something like this as well. So um, this is just a for sure um, forbidden as well. So yeah, um, like I said, some of these um, laws are, again, are just always going to have this kind of um, uh, upsetting kind of nature to them. Um, and again, I do think a lot of that just rests in the difference of cultures between their culture and our culture. And it's our responsibility in many cases to look towards the new New Testament to see Jesus's adaptions of those laws, to find the wisdom principles underneath them, to say what's changed and what's not changed, what was given just because of human sin and wickedness, um, what types of choices we should make even with our own laws. I think all of that has been progressive in a huge way, and I think that that's something we're allowed to do with the Bible, and it's a good point to bring up here at the close, is it's not just Christians shouldn't just take a literal view of all of the scripture, but should see the progression of it as a story instead of just a thing that gives you laws for life. Um, instead, it's a story, and the laws just as much are a story of Israel as any other part. That's what Paul will say in Romans, and that um, learning through them as a story is very different than learning through them as just a guide for life. Um, and uh, it's very important to see the story as the guide, not the very um, specific laws underneath them. Um, even though the, they can teach us some things and they have wisdom, I'm always going to harp on the fact that every law has some kind of wisdom. Um, and there is some aspect of, of each of these laws in which really communicates some good to the world. And it's something to meditate on and to really think about in your life. So hopefully that helps. Um, again, these are just as uncomfortable for me as anyone. So, um, But I also love God and I trust God and I know that ultimately his ways are are the good ways, um, that he is a good God in many ways. And um, there are so many passages that communicate that um, 
very truly and evidently. So yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the Boring Bible Podcast, and I'll be back in your feed again next week. Bye.